Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast brought to you by TasteWise. My name is Ron. I'm joined as always by Miriam. Today we're talking about plant-based dairy. So a few weeks ago, we went to San Francisco to attend um, a really great event called Future Food Tech. And at that event, um, plant-based alternatives and um, and plant-based in general was a huge focus. So we thought it would be interesting to take a look uh, at one sub, uh, subcategory specifically. Uh, we chose plant-based dairy because there's been a ton of interest in that category. So we're going to be analyzing some interesting trends there uh, and hopefully pulling out some really interesting examples. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Miriam, it feels like we haven't done podcasts in ages. Do you know why it feels that way? Why does it feel that way? Because we haven't done a podcast in ages. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So to get us back on track, um, I have what I fear might be the worst joke I've ever told for you. Are you ready? I could not be more ready. Uh, Miriam, have you heard the rumor about butter? No, I have not. Well, I'm not going to spread it. <laughs> oh, God. No. <laughs> That's a rough one. Yeah. Or alternatively, a smooth one. <laughs> I was um, yeah, I, I was thinking that you were going to take it alternatively into like the plant-based <laughs> alternative <laughs> butter. No, no, I think that one we just need to let it let it be, let it go and move forward. <laughs> yeah. So, um I think this whole space uh specifically we want to talk about plant-based dairy and um I think that there's been a lot of com- really interesting conversations that specifically you've been having with uh, some of our customers. A lot of our customers are large CPGs or flavor companies uh, that are very interested in this space. And I think one of the things that they're most interested in uh, that we're going to dig into a bit more today is uh, this whole concept of plant-based in general, uh, the whole plant-based category, uh, not, not being just for vegans, right? That's something that you had mentioned to me last yeah. time uh, we spoke. So, um, is that what we're going to be digging into today a bit more? Um, yeah, that's going to be absolutely part of it. I really thought it would be useful to have just kind of a deep dive episode onto the plant-based dairy space right now. Um, there's a lot of really interesting innovations out there. Um, and thinking about the range of of plant-based dairy offerings. Um, so exactly to your point, right? There's there's things that are catered not just for vegans, but for any number of reasons. And we'll talk about that as well. Um, and then kind of get into the nitty gritty about what's driving the trend right now and what we can expect from the category moving forward. I think we'll kind of do a, a survey class today. Awesome. So where do we start? Um, let's start, as I always say in these podcasts, from the beginning. Um, I think we should start by talking about uh, kind of the major themes within the space, um, and then we can kind of break those down and, and look at each of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your permission, I'll kind of, I'll kick us off. Um, so to kind of, to get started, I really like that you called out FFT, Future Food Tech in San Francisco. Um, it was an awesome event for so many different reasons, um, not least among which was the opportunity to be together with so many amazing minds and and people who are doing really interesting work um, across the food and beverage space. Um, And we definitely saw that plant-based was a huge theme throughout the conference. And I know that they're, uh, you know, even hosting future conferences that are dedicated specifically to that category. Um, But we saw so many different um, players in the space, everything from, you know, big food and beverage. So the, the kind of major powerhouses who are 
have this as part of their portfolio to up and coming startups that are creating, you know, one specific product um, that's working in this space. Um, and we saw, you know, not just from the from the side of the innovators and from the actual people who are bringing these products to market, but also from the people in the room who are not only um, you know, working in the space themselves, but are also consumers of this stuff, right? Um, so it was interesting to see kind of the range of types of people who are in the room who are engaging with this. Um, and that's kind of to your point about, you know, what's the role of vegans in this or people who care about health or people who care about sustainability. There's so many different motivators um, for the category. And I think that was abundantly clear uh, in the room. So it's not often that you get to kind of be in a room with a thousand people who are all thinking about plant-based together and kind of get a chance to see what people are caring about and thinking about. So um, I think that's a really great intro for this episode. I was just going to say that um, I think that is something really interesting across the entire plant-based category, but even not just plant-based, but all of the like X alternative category. Yeah. Um, and I always go back to the example. Uh, we did an episode of the podcast with the CEO of uh, Redefined Meat. Um, yeah. And he was talking about how he himself is not vegan. Um, and he is sort of expected to be as uh, kind of the CEO of a company that makes uh, meat alternatives. Uh, that is um, very, very good, by the way, if you had the, the chance to try it. Um, and he was talking about how their whole thing is, I'm not necessarily trying to make the healthiest product out there. It's definitely going to be healthier. Um, but health is really not the main thing. Um, but he just very earnestly believes that we have to go this route in order to make living on this planet more sustainable, right? Because we're going to run out of resources. We have the technology to, to yeah. do things like this. And I was thinking about uh, myself as someone who cares about some of these issues, but is also like my, my lifestyle is, uh, is not vegan, just like I kind of like an omnivore, I guess you'd call it like eat a little bit of everything. Um, if it's readily available to me to get something like redefined meat or uh, any one of their competitors, um, I would, of course, prefer to go and get that. Um, and when we talked about it, then um, I think that was the first time for me when I realized that I'm a part of the target audience for this type of product and not necessarily just uh, just a certain uh, type of the population that feels, you know, very, um, very intensely about that. Uh, and a friend of mine who who is vegan and is an activist that really cares about this stuff recently told me about how uh, he and his wife went to a restaurant and they had um, they had actually it was specifically uh, redefined meat here in Israel. Um, and for him, it really brought back like the experiential eating um, kind of uh, just the experience of, you know, having meat, the smell and, and all of it, mm. while his wife was actually very deterred by it because it kind of, it was almost like too real for her. It was too close to yeah. the experience of, of eating meat. So I just find it fascinating how this entire space is opening up for all of these different motivations to consume these products, whether it's plant-based uh, dairy as dairy alternatives. Uh, and we see this a lot in the beverage space as well. Um, all the way to to meat alternatives. Yeah, I think that's a really a really really great point. Um, the space is not just for one type of person. Um, I think is the the big takeaway there. And brands that are focused on one type of person need to be doing that, or one type of person or one type of need, motivation, whatever, need to be doing that really intentionally because there is such an opportunity across so many different motivations and so many different audiences and types of people. Um, I want to just call it another example. Um, so you were talking about. Um, the kind of 
your thought processes around alternative meats. And just to kind of clarify for those who may be new to the category, when we say plant-based dairy or alternative dairy, those aren't necessarily the same thing. Um, you can have alternative dairy or alternative meat or whatever it is, right? And it not necessarily be plant-based. We have everything from, um, you know, 3D printed or cell cultured or all, all different kinds of things. So today we're going to be speaking um, about plant-based dairy, but I'll, I'll kind of pepper in there as well, where where the insights are actually relevant to alternative dairy as well, um, or kind of outside of the scope of plant-based. Uh, and an example that I'll give about that is our friends at Remilk. Um, so Remilk is a, a really interesting startup that's creating, uh, their tagline is real dairy, no cows. Um, so they're creating, uh, you know, I guess the phrase would be kind of cultured milk um, using animal protein, but not coming from cows. And so their focus is really very much about sustainability um, and nutrition. So uh, that's a great example of a milk alternative that's not actually, I suppose you could make the argument that it's not actually an alternative, right? Because it's still dairy. Um, but there's all sorts of really interesting questions there. Like would a vegan be comfortable eating it, right? Even if it comes from animal protein, if it doesn't actually source from and, and animals. So anyway, there's lots of really interesting, I think, ethical considerations here. And But that just goes to show how complex and interesting and I think really um, fruitful this category is. I wish there was a word like fruitful that was dairy related, but alas, <laughs> cannot think like of one. Every, every pun that gets away from us. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so let's jump into it. Um, so we've covered how the uh, category of plant-based dairy is no longer just for vegans, right? Um, we've talked about how plant-based eating and drinking broadly accomplishes a lot of goals for people across the spectrum from, you know, carnivores to omnivores to vegetarians, vegans, people who are health conscious, sustainability conscious, all this good stuff. Um, and so I really see that there are three categories, um, and I think, Ron, you called them out really beautifully at the top, um, three categories or themes that are worth watching and kind of underpin the category of alternative dairy. So those things are functional health, sustainability, and experience with particularly we'll talk about today gourmet and what that means for the category, but um, experiential eating and drinking, um, sustainability, and functional health. So we're going to start with functional health. Um, for those of you who have been with us for a while or engage with um, kind of our suite of research and content that we put out into the world, um, you know that functional health is something that we think about a lot and talk about a lot. Um, for those of you who are new, um, functional health is um, basically the idea that food and beverage, and specifically within food and beverage, um, that food and beverage can offer some sort of health benefit to your life that extends beyond, let's say, nutrition or kind of the typical categories of health um, to really impacting how the impacting and improving the experience of your life. So just to put that in layman's terms, that could be things, you know, like sleep support, gut health, depression treatment, um, even things like, you know, uh, cancer treatment, which not is not on the medical side, but kind of quality of life um, to things like skin health, et cetera. So functional health is really using food and beverage to improve the quality of your life um, from a perspective of wellness rather than necessarily uh, what you might go to a, a doctor explicitly for. Um, so within kind of this concept of health, what's really interesting, and we're seeing this across the industry at large, that interest in health broadly, the concept of health is actually going down. Um, and you might be like, what? That makes no sense. We're coming out of, we're coming through, we're coming out of COVID. Let's hope we're coming out of COVID. Um, you know, you would think that health would be really top of mind and you would be correct. Um, the idea here is that healthy as a concept is actually um, decreasing in interest because consumers are becoming much more specific. Um, specific claims are going up in consumer interest rather than just the term healthy. So instead of somebody looking for, you know, a healthy salad, they're going to be looking for a salad that explicitly supports gut health, right? Um, consumers are much more interested in the specificity. Um, and we're seeing that across across the category. Um, so that means that functional health 
health, right, which are these very specific tailored benefits, um, have a really great opportunity here for it to come to play. And we're seeing that they're growing a lot. So plant-based dairy is not immune to that growth. And in fact, it's actually really naturally aligned with these concepts of health and wellness. Um, health is the top motivation behind vegan eating and drinking in the U.S., um, which is a, a really big takeaway. It's actually um, seven times more common than animal rights considerations for vegan eating. So when eight people sit down to eat um, something vegan, seven of them will be eating it for health reasons and one will be eating for uh, for animal rights. That's how math works, right? Just trying <laughs> to go we, with a visual example here. <laughs> if we clip this part for LinkedIn, please let's have like you know, like all of the numbers and formulas, <laughs> like just like falling down, like <laughs> across the screen. Like that meme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so essentially, um, yeah. So health, let me just get realigned where I was. Yeah. So you're, you're saying it's seven times more common than animal rights uh, considerations. Yeah. So health is seven times more um, common than animal rights considerations, which is a really big deal. If we think back to kind of the genesis of, of um, mainstream vegan eating and drinking, um, which you could argue kind of came around in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, et cetera, um, that was really driven by animal rights considerations, right? And we've seen a massive, massive switch. Um, and one of the biggest takeaways for us, and this is a, a story that we love to tell now, um, when we were at FFT, and again, just to contextualize, the people in the room were a lot of folks who care about plant-based. We actually did a really um, fun kind of interactive quiz, and we were asking people, what is the top motivator um, for plant-based or vegan eating and drinking? And we gave them a list of options, and I, I believe that they were um, taste, health, animal rights, and sustainability. Um, and it turns out that 80% of people in the room were actually wrong and selected that animal rights um, or sustainability or, you know, the other options were primary when the answer is actually health. Um, so health is primary, the primary driver for vegan. Um, and that goes to Ron, I think your, your point, right? Um, not everybody who eats vegan or eats plant-based is themselves in identity a vegan. Um, you yourself were talking about, you know, why you might choose to have redefined meat over something else. And you're an omnivore, right? Or a carnivore, whatever, however. Yeah. It's it's interesting because um, I always love seeing how there are concepts in marketing that really span every discipline and every you know vertical and industry. And one of the staples of marketing um, across you know pretty much every job I ever had was this concept of uh, personas. Um, and it's really something that's kind of going out of style in the marketing world because. Um, it really narrows you down to something very specific. And then you usually end up with something that's very vague and isn't really useful for, for anybody. And I think that we're starting to see because consumers are so differentiated, us as consumers, all of us, like we have so many different motivations, so many different drivers that uh, help us make the decisions that we do. I think we're seeing the same thing in the, in the way that we interact with uh, food and beverage. So it would be probably not the best strategy for you as a plant-based um, dairy uh, company to go after like, I'm only going after vegans or I'm only going after, you know, uh, people that fit a specific lifestyle. Maybe you can make content and recipes and talk about how your product aligns with a specific lifestyle. That's great. And that's going to help expose you to more people. But the approach that we're seeing with, from a lot of these companies that are, that are, really quickly growing is just about what is the kind of main staple of the product like remilk it's like their thing that it is not an alternative it is real milk right that is 
their staple. That is the value that they're trying to create in the world. Uh, very similar to what Redefine Meat uh, are doing. Uh, Beyond and Impossible, the kind of bigger players um, have their own thing, obviously, and more in the alternative meat. But um, there's a lot of these really amazing, uh, for example, egg alternative companies like uh, Zero Egg and Just Egg and Yo Egg, um, which all have kind of their special, unique aspect. And they let the consumer understand how does this fit my lifestyle? How does this fit uh, my my motivation? The reason, for example, me personally, that I keep bringing up Redefined Meat is just because their message really re- resonated with me, with who I am yeah. uh, as, a, as a person. Um, but I to rewind just a little bit, I want to ask you about something that you said. So you mentioned that interest in health generally has gone down. And then mm-hmm. you said that health is still seven times more common than animal rights uh, for vegan eating. So are both of these things true and are they not contradictory? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yes, they are both true. What I mean by that is that in terms of the trend line of interest in health, so if we're thinking about, you know, if the if the quantity of or the, you know, quantifiable amount of interest, which we do from social media, um, if that is rising or falling, that's what I mean by um that plan that health is decreasing, right? That it's not actually mm. top of mind. It's it's decreasing a little bit, but in terms of sheer penetration or establishment, it's still by far the most established motivator. Um, so you're asking a really great question, and it comes down to popularity versus popularity, meaning like is it an established claim? Is it something that's like we're seeing in the market? It's you know it's it's there, it's stable, versus mm-hmm. um you know is it trending, which is a different question. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Um. So I want to kind of round out this this conversation about functional health right at the start um, to just n- narrow down into plant-based dairy. So um, consumers actually call out the health benefits of plant-based dairy in nearly a third of all dining occasions. Um, so we talked about how you know health is the top motivation for vegan eating and drinking generally. But if we look at plant-based dairy, that's also very true. And it's true to the extent that a third of all dining occasions are specifically linked to health and wellness. So when I talk about health, I don't just mean people are saying the word, hey, this is a really healthy you know, um, coconut butter, butter spread, right? That's not what they're saying. I mean, it could, it's part of what they're saying, but we're also talking here about um, all of the functional health claims that we kind of discussed earlier. So um, when I say that health here, I mean the kind of entire ecosystem or galaxy, as I like to say, of um, health motivations um, are coming to play. Um, so I want to call it one specifically. Um, so protein, um, if we're looking at just kind of sheer nutritional aspects, and we'll get to another functional health example in a sec. So protein specifically is top of mind for alternative dairy consumers. Um, so kind of according to our research, people are 14 times more likely to eat plant-based dairy for its protein content than they are for uh, average food and beverage. That means if you were to kind of sample let's say a million folks across the range of food and beverage, and you were to see how, how prevalent the claim of protein is, how, um, you know, how often people are prioritizing eating something because of its protein content. Um, you'd see that when you looked at that same pool of people, um, but just for plant-based dairy, you'd see that it was 14 times, um, higher. So basically what that means, the big takeaway here is that protein is really important for alternative dairy consumers. Um, the assumption here is that people who are eating alternative dairy, um, you know, are foregoing, animal-based animal-based dairy in some capacity. It may not be every day, but in this particular eating occasion, they are. And they're looking to replicate and supplement their diet with the, the protein that they feel that they are perhaps missing. Um, and this is aligned, of course, with fitness and weight management, um, which are you know closely tied to protein consumption. And those are top... Um, top functional motivations for a plant-based dairy category. So, um, you know, 
I think the big takeaway here is protein matters for alternative dairy um, and not just on its own. It also matters because people are conscious about fitness and weight um, when they're eating plant-based. And those are kind of the functional benefits or consequences that come with uh, this nutritional aspect. So to help kind of, uh, I guess, dumb it down for me, um, we've seen protein and the interest in protein as a major, major player as a driver to uh, certain types of dishes, ingredients, um, kind of across the board, like beyond this conversation, like if yeah. you've listened to this podcast or uh, read any of our reports, uh, we even di- uh, did a big alternative protein specifically report um, last August. Um, so now um, is what you're saying now is that um, people are more likely to turn to plant-based dairy for protein uh, than they are to... Um, just general food and beverage, or even more specifically than that, that people are becoming more likely to turn to plant-based dairy than they are to dairy, like to regular dairy. It's a really great question. Um, the former, not the latter. So people, more, we're comparing that to general food and beverage. We could compare that within you know, dairy and see what the, what the numbers are, but I haven't done that research yet. I imagine that that's probably not the case, that people are turning more to plant-based for, for protein than they are for dairy. It's probably about equal, or I would even imagine that dairy is probably a little bit, or a plant-based or animal-based dairy is probably a little higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth watching, right? I think this is one of those things that, um, you know, when we think about, I loved what you said before that consumers are so complex. When we think about the multitudes that are within all of us about our, our motivations for eating something or choosing something off of a supermarket aisle, um, there is, you know, always usually a primary motivator, but there's also a bunch behind it, right? So somebody could be meatless Monday that they've extended to be vegan Monday, but they eat dairy the rest of the week. Um, and they also happen to be trying to lose a little bit of weight and, you know, they're lifting at the gym. And so they're worried about protein content, right? So there's like a a million different ways that someone could come to this category. Um, and I think being aware of what your audience cares about down to the complexity of the fact that they care about multiple things is, uh, is a really useful tool. This is a really interesting example of how, when you compare a specific consumer need or, you know, trend or ingredient or whatever it is that you might be researching, where when you compare it to let's, uh, let's call like total food and beverage, one category, like a category that mm-hmm. includes essentially all of food and beverage. And we, that's what we usually call like the benchmark, like versus uh, all conversations about food and beverage. Um, and then when you compare it to a more specific category, like for example, I want to see protein, as a consumer need or a driver uh, compared to total food and beverage versus I want to see it uh, protein um, as opposed to just uh, dairy, including both, you know, uh, animal-based dairy and plant-based dairy. Um, And then different trend stories are going to emerge, right? So if you're only researching in one category and not in the other and, and things that are adjacent to your category that you work in, um, then uh, you're probably going to miss out on some really interesting stories. Um, I yeah, think, uh, I that. yeah, I think that uh, there was a really like specifically to to the plant based world. There was a really interesting example uh, that one of our product analysts uh, was working on for uh, for a customer um, about uh, oat milk. 
Um, and when you're looking at just on social, um, we, we typically look at a bunch of different data sources. We look at uh, recipes, menus. Uh, but for this example, I'm really just talking about social. Uh, we were looking at social conversations about oat milk as compared to all of food and beverage. And the trend line, if you're just listening to this, you can't see my hand, but the trend line was flat, <laughs> right? The trend line was like this. Um, I'll and translate. Yeah. Ron is holding his hand <laughs> flat. <laughs> uh, and when uh, and when she compared it, uh, oat milk versus just the, um, I think it was just uh, in alternative yeah. dairy space. Then all of a sudden, the the trend line, you know, it went like this. It went up, uh, up and to the right, right? Like people are getting. <laughs> Hand is held at a 45 degree angle. <laughs> you get it. Person listening, yeah. you get it. Um, and it was so fascinating because if you are working on an oat milk product, um, which is can obviously be positioned as, you know, an alternative to milk, uh, for example. Um, yeah. And you're working on, on this product and you're doing some research to see how well it's trending, how are people applying it, how are people talking about it, and you're comparing it to this huge category of total food and beverage, that could, that's awesome because that could give you a lot of really interesting um, insights, like we said, people are uh, 14 times more likely to go to uh, plant-based um, uh, dairy for protein than they are to kind of the entirety of food and beverage. But then it would also be useful to compare just to the category you're trying to play in, in this case, um, sure. uh, dairy alternatives, because uh, then you could see, oh, actually oat milk is trending up. It's really interesting. So I, I thought it was a, a really cool example. Yeah, that's a that's a really a really good example. Um and I think just goes to show how important it is to get close to your consumer in whatever ways you can, right? Um mm -hmm. like understanding the motivations that matter and being able to drill down to them um kind of to the the depth. Yeah. Um okay, I want to wrap up this functional health conversation with just one more uh one more important one. So, gut health. Um gut health is huge in the dairy category generally for any number of reasons. Um people are becoming much more attuned to the the consequences that animal-based dairy has on digestive systems to put it uh put it frankly um <laughs> i will say as no i well yes i will um as someone with a tricky tummy who i made fun of in the office for saying on the podcast but i just did it again um this is something that i that i think about a lot um and this can extend from everyone who's you know lactose intolerant like me um to people who are just trying to you know have a um a more enriched microbiome. There's any number of reasons why someone might be more attuned to gut health. This is also something we're seeing um, among parents thinking about kids and how to adjust their kids to, um, you know, a plant-based or an alternative to milk that's not um, rich in hormones or antibiotics or things like that. There's all sorts of interesting ramifications there. Um, also looking at things, you know, like soy milk and understanding that there's hormonal impacts there too. So people are kind of really thinking about this into the depths of, um, of both nutrition and functional health. Um, so gut health is a trending motivation uh, within animal-based dairy, but it also maps to its plant-based partner. Um, so we're seeing that you know, it's also a consideration that people are making when they're eating plant when they're eating plant based dairy. So, it's not just that they're avoiding animal based dairy, and then calling it a day. They're actually actively actively choosing plant based dairy for that reason, and then choosing plant based dairy that can support gut health even a step further. So, it's not just that they're avoiding the consequences of gut health from animal dairy. They're also looking for plant based options that will support um, their gut health even more, which I think is an interesting difference, if that makes sense. It's not just choosing against something and then taking the, the available alternative. It's that they're choosing that alternative, not only for that reason, but also because they want extra support. 
Um, so we're saying that probiotics are actually up 18% over the last year in interest for uh, plant-based dairy, um, which is pretty cool. And adaptogens are up 13%, which is a kind of gut health adjacent um, and has some other consequences as well, like, you know, stress relief and things like that. So I think gut health is a really interesting one to watch and, and we'll see kind of what happens in the category. But I love that plant-based dairy is understanding their niche role um, and taking steps to make sure that people are supported as well. Yeah. And these are exactly the type of things that we were talking about when uh, when we're saying the interest in health is uh, declining, um, exactly. where it's actually just becoming super, super specific. Uh, you, exactly. It's no longer enough to say that something is healthy. You have to say what it's good for. Is it good for your sleep? Is it good for your gut? Is it good for you know your brain? What is it good for? Uh, and we're and that's just across every what single is category. It good for oh. <laughs> absolutely nothing. Well, a bunch of things. Absolutely everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I challenge our our listeners to even think in your own life when you've been in the supermarket or on Instacart or wherever you do your grocery shopping, and if you're trying to you know, choose something healthy. When was the last time that you're just like, seems healthy to me and then pick something? Or if you were like, hmm, this seems like it would be really good for X, Y, Z reason, right? Whether it's your stomach or skin health or whatever, right? I think even in ourselves, we can acknowledge that we're becoming more um, specific and sophisticated in our demands. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to keep moving here and I want to talk about sustainability. Um, so we just had a really wonderful uh, workshop as a company with um, our, our resident sustainability expert on our team, Yaniv. Um, and we talked a lot about sustainability, both in the food and beverage industry, but also in kind of our own behaviors. Um, so I just want to offer a definition of sustainability for those that, you know, we all know kind of instinctually what sustainability is, but I think it's actually really useful to have this working definition, um, especially for people who are creating products that are um, sustainable or on their way to becoming sustainable. So um, sustainability is the ability for the food and beverage industry, and in our specific case, right, um, but obviously this extends beyond us, to environmentally meet our current needs and the needs of future generations. Um, so it's about being able to provide um, for us right now uh, and also ensuring that future generations and, and future people will be able to provide for their needs as well. Um, so this is a concept that is increasingly important to consumers across, you know, every part of their lives, um, specifically also within food and beverage. Uh, food and beverage is something that all of us engage with every single day. Um, and thinking about how our choices from, you know, what we're purchasing and what we're saying with how we spend our dollars, um, all the way through to, you know, what do we do with food waste? What do we do with packaging? Like there, there are so many different ways to engage with sustainability. Um, and that's also true, obviously, within plant-based dairy. We're seeing a lot of alignment between, of course, plant-based and sustainability. Um, and consumers are actually discussing sustainability 13% more this year than last when it comes to plant-based dairy. So um, I think that really points to the fact that consumers are no longer just assuming that anything that is plant-based is better for the environment than its animal-based counterpart, right? Which in some ways can be true. Um, but I think they're also understanding, okay, cool, this is plant-based. That's not enough. Give me more details. I don't just want like an eco-washed product that it claims to be, you know, it's good for the planet because it's uh, plant-based, but they want to know more about, you know, what's the carbon footprint? Is it regeneratively farmed? Um, you know, what's the water usage, things like that. Um, and I think a really great example of that is actually almond milk um, and the attention that people are paying to, okay, we're drinking almond milk that is, you know, ostensibly better for the environment than drinking milk from a cow. Um, but people are also understanding that almonds are incredibly water thirsty. Um, and in the U.S., where we get a lot of our almonds are from California, and we have lots of droughts there and forest fires and things like that. And people are saying, hey, you know, this isn't actually a sustainable, as sustainable as one might imagine. This is actually causing quite a bit of environmental damage. How can we change our behaviors around that? And what what can we demand from, from our brands? 
um, and from what we eat. So all of that is to say sustainability matters and it's increasingly mattering over the course of time. Um, and this maps to what we were saying about healthy, right? Like people are not just saying, okay, cool, plant-based equals sustainable, right? Just like they're not saying, okay, plant-based equals healthy. They're saying, in what way can we get specific and really understand um, yeah. what's going on here? We need to yeah. provide uh, proof for these things. Uh, that's where exactly. sometimes um, it's not just certifications, but it also is in the marketing for your tool, for your uh, product, uh, for whatever it may be. Um, we are seeing... W- we're seeing more and more of these products list specifically uh, their carbon footprint and how is this made and who is involved in making it and you know everything from fair, fair trade all the way to the actual manufacturing process um, is really being included because people people want to know because that is why um, in many instances we turn to these brands that often have to be a little bit more expensive than kind of the store brands. Right, the things that right. uh, that there are alternatives for, and we're we will be willing to pay the premium on uh, on these uh, on these products only if they prove to us that uh, that they're worth it, right? So, um, yeah. and I think that there have been I'm not going to call out like any anything specific, but I think there have been stories over the last year about um, some alternatives companies that, uh, just like you said, it's been proven that hey, actually this process is not as sustainable or is not as healthy as uh, as it claims to be. And consumers have become even more educated as a result of that. Hugely, yeah. Um, that actually reminds me about a, a conversation that I had with a client, um, I think last week, uh, when we were talking about this nexus of you know health, sustainability, and taste. Um, and the client asked, okay, if you had to rank those things about what's going to matter to consumers in the next year, what would you say? Which one is going to be the primary... Um, the primary motivators of health, sustainability, or taste, specifically around plant-based dairy. Um, And there were a couple of other folks in the room, and we kind of all agreed that taste will always be king um, or queen, Mm -hmm. sovereign, um, that that will always matter. Um, And, you know, sustainability and health, that people are increasingly not willing to sacrifice either. Um, If they want something that's healthy for their body, they want something that's also healthy for the planet. And if they're eating something that's healthy for the planet, why should it not be healthy for their body as well, right? Um, You're probably not going to have a super, super sustainable awesome, let's say, you know, I don't know what the example would be, like a chicken tender. You might, which is indulgent, right? Because it tastes amazing, but you're probably also going to be not so thrilled about it if it's like super high in um, in trans fats and things like that, which are, which yeah. are not great for your body. So um, I love that thinking about, you know, there's no longer such a thing so much about a hierarchy of claims, right? It's much more that the field is becoming much more horizontal rather than vertical and consumers want what they want and they want it all at once, um, which I think is a really great lesson to, to take here. Yeah, this is why um, Alon, our, our CEO, often talks about how the future of food um, has to be uh, sustainable, healthy, delicious, and instantly available. Like all these right. things, we need to have them at the the palm of our hand. Exactly. And I think the undercurrent there also is affordable, that people, like, they need it to be good for their wallet too, um, which I think is a, something that we take into consideration, or at least that they want to know that what they're spending their money on and investing their money in is is mm-hmm. hitting all the categories that they want. Yeah. Um, okay. Last note on sustainability. I just want to call, we've called it out before, but um, I did a little bit of more research into it. So uh, Doug drinks, which to this day, I still have not tried. Ron, have you the potato based milk? Uh, no, I don't think uh, we have it here in Israel. So 
um, have okay, have I'll the have chance. To, I'll do some digging and see if I can find it. But um, I, what I really like about the way that they uh, position themselves from a marketing perspective is that if you look at their website, um, so it's dougdrinks.com, just to call them out and give them a, a shout out because they're doing really interesting work. Um, they have a whole section devoted to sustainability where they really get into the nitty gritty and the details of what makes their product sustainable. And not only do they talk about, uh, you know, their specific product, they kind of put it within the context of other products. They compare it to, you know, oat-based products, almond-based products, et cetera. So it really gives consumers the information that they need. They have everything um, sourced, you know, to great reputable sources. Um, So I think that that's a really great example of uh, not only positioning their product as sustainable, but becoming thought leaders in the space and giving consumers, empowering consumers to make decisions based on, um, you know, this information, just like you would if you were having a nutrition label on the back of your bottle, right? Um, I've seen some other companies do sustainability facts as well as nutrition facts um, to help people understand the impact that they're having. So lots of great options here and definitely worth taking a look at. Okay, finally, I want to talk about gourmet experiences. And I think this is where we'll we'll end for today. Um, so we've talked about how plant-based dairy matters for a lot of folks. Um, and one of the things that I like to say about plant-based dairy is that it's no longer just the second place prize for vegans or the lactose intolerant, right? It's no longer just what your cousin is eating at the family brunch because they can't have dairy. And so they're kind of stuck with a bowl of whatever, right? It's no longer like that. It's actually something that's, uh, not just for health and it's not just for the people who have to have it because they're lactose intolerant, not just for vegan. Um, instead it adds, you know, there's a specific value to it. So we talked about the health value. We talked about the sustainability value. Um, and it's actually increasingly offering an experiential value as well. Um, that's accessible and desirable for any number of people. Um, so the way that I like to think about this right now is that, um, gourmet is much more at play for plant-based dairy than one might expect. Um, So gourmet applications of plant-based dairy are actually up 28% in consumer interest year over year. So um, that's nearly, you know, a third more interest, uh, which is wild. Um, And consumers are actually three times more likely to consider a dish with plant-based dairy to be indulgent than an average meal. So again, it's that benchmark calculation that Ron walked us through at the top. Um, So we're, we're seeing that there's actually this really interesting alignment between gourmet and indulgence with plant-based dairy, which you might not think of as being, you know, off the bat being something that's gourmet or indulgent. I don't think that it's the category's roots have really um, shown themselves to be that way, but it's definitely moving that way. Um, And we're seeing that restaurants specifically and in food service are creating actually um, dishes that do not sacrifice this gourmet uh, nature at the hands of plant-based. So they're, they're creating really awesome, interesting, artistic, even aesthetic dishes, um, that can be plant-based, um, but don't necessarily like have to be right. That their main, their main thing is that they are gourmet and interesting and they happen to be plant-based. And I think that's a direction that, uh, the industry is going to be going generally with alternatives, um, that calling something out, like it will no longer be an alternative, right? Like a, a, a plant-based dairy will just be like part of dairy. Um, it will Mm -hmm. no longer just be, you know, a, a, as I said before, like a second place prize or something that's like standalone and separate. It'll just be part of what we eat and drink and for any number of reasons. Right. Um, just like someone might eat chicken and they might eat beef, they might eat, you know, cow milk or they might have almond milk, whatever. Right. Um, we're already seeing that in some ways. Um, we're also seeing that people are six times more likely to pair organic ingredients with plant-based dairy. Um, so again, there's that kind of experiential moment and organic obviously has, you know, other health implications and things like that. Um, but organic is highly correlated with gourmet dining as well. Um, and finally, we're seeing that locally sourced plant-based dairy, which is a little bit more complicated because that's, uh, you know, it, it's harder to source. I think, um, 
you know, it's easier to, let's say, to source from your local cow than it is necessarily to have the kind of machinery and everything set up to create almond milk or, you know, I keep using that example just because it's the top uh, plant-based for, or plant, top plant base for alternative milks. Um, but it's a little bit harder to do that for plant-based stuff. But um, locally sourced plant-based dairy is actually up 18% um, in consumer interest year over year um, and is gaining ground specifically in gourmet context as well. So um, I have, a, you know, some interesting examples, which I maybe I can put in the show notes or I'll put on social um, of dishes that are plant-based and gourmet. But if anybody has a specific one that they love and they've had recently in a, you know, in a restaurant, um, please let us know. We would love to see. Um, yeah. I think that this is a really interesting direction too. I think uh, we're probably going to have a, a write-up uh, about this published on our blog at some point, right? Maybe mm-hmm. maybe by the time this is up, maybe not. If it is, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> Good <laughs> we're, we're, That is we're, solely yeah. my responsibility. So I will figure that out. <laughs> we're professionals here. Yeah. Um, I love what you said about um, how alternatives are are soon to be no longer alternatives. Um, I think that's, that really sums it up. I think that uh, we're close to a tipping point where these things are entering the mainstream. Um, I think that for a lot of us, uh, when we kind of live in a world where these things are around us 24 seven, like for example, you know, I work for a food tech company, Miriam works for a food tech company. Um, We talk about these things. (laughs) did you know um we talk about these things all the time and to us it feels like everybody knows about it everybody this is their lifestyle this is what they're eating but then if you um you know go kind of to kind of like the the big wide world out there and you talk to people you understand uh, all of these things are in terms of adoption, really in the beginning of their life cycle. Uh, It's just like uh, there was this stat released by, um, I think by Amazon recently about how uh, like 95%, 95%, I think, of the world's retail is still offline. Um, So we think as Amazon, as that's where you get everything, that's where everybody gets everything, like for better or for worse. Um, But that's actually not the case. It's, uh, It's not true. Most people... Get the get these things uh, in person at stores uh, all across the world. Uh, so I think the same is true here, where we think about all of these um, kind of you know quote unquote alternatives. Very soon they will no longer be alternatives; they will just be you know food on their on their own right. Um, and that's going to be really interesting to see. And it's also going to be interesting for the positioning of, of these products. Yeah, and I think also we've seen so much that. Um, this is more kind of anecdotal, but I think this is something that might speak to some of our listeners as well, that um, there has been over the past few years, and I think this is changing, there has been sort of this cultural conception of plant-based dairy as being kind of like this cheeky hipster, like, oh, you go into a, you know, a New York, you know, $7 for a coffee, coffee shop, and they have a million different dairy alternatives and you can choose for them, right? But if you were to go into like a mom and pop shop and pick a place, Indiana, they might not. Um, and so I think there was this kind of resistance to this category as being inaccessible for the mm-hmm. mainstream. Um, something that's, you know, tied to price and tied to um, even just like uh, atmosphere or kind of branding or positioning, whatever, whether that's intentional or not. And I think yeah. that we're going to see that changing as people recognize that there is space for everybody in this category. Um, it's not just something that, you know, uh, 
people who pay $7 for a coffee in New York City are going to be interested in. It's actually for, you know, for everybody. There's health reasons, sustainability reasons, um, you know, any number of things that we've talked about. Um, we could also do a whole episode. We just talked about gourmet experience, but we could do a whole episode about how people are doing this in their home kitchens and just using this as part of yeah. their their day-to-day. And that might be really interesting because, um, you know, as I said, there's room for everybody in this category. Um, so okay. it was important for me to say that as we as we wrap up. So um, there's so much more interesting stuff in some of the notes that we've put together here um, that we might need to do another one of these episodes just on sure. plant-based yeah, uh, dairy. Um, I think it's such a I have such a ton a of stuff on space. food service and home cooking. So we could do like a whole thing on applications in that way. Yeah, uh, I'd love that. Um, but with that, we're going to wrap up. So first of all, I want to thank everybody so much for listening to this podcast. Uh, it's been more popular than I think uh, Miriam and I uh, <laughs> intentionally anticipated. Um, yep. <laughs> most of, uh, yeah, we anticipated just like, you know, like, hey, mom. Um, but um, Hi, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it most of what we talk about both here and on TasteWise Live, which is the live research session that we do every single week on Tuesdays, um, comes from suggestions from uh, from folks listening and watching. So if there's anything that you'd like to see or hear us talk about, uh, send us a note at live at tastewise.io and uh, we could cover it. Um, but with that, I'd also like to thank the team that makes this uh, podcast possible. Um, and that is uh, Eyal, Daniel, Ufir, of course, Miriam, um, just a fantastic team putting together all this amazing content. So I appreciate it so much. And I hope this has been useful for everybody. And we will see you on the next one.